Hello and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live, a show where we chat to some of the most interesting and important people fighting for the preservation of Western civilization. Today's guest is not only a cultural warrior, he is one of the most fascinating personalities working in political commentary. Carl Benjamin, who many of you may know as Sargon of Akkad, rose to prominence through his YouTube videos, which started back in 2010, exploring philosophy, history and politics. Needless to say, he upset a lot of fragile people by telling the truth. Wikipedia hilariously calls him a British far-right anti-feminist YouTuber, when in reality he's one of the most important and rational classical liberal voices in the conversation. Carl, welcome to the show. And thanks so much for having me. What a kind introduction. <laughs> Well, look, I'm going to start with a quote from way back in the twilight years when you welcomed people to your YouTube channel. You said that you are a lover of history and the lessons it can teach us and that you created your channel because you are unable to silence your conscience. Well, that's how it started. How is the political conversation in the modern age going today? I feel like it's going um, well on what I'm just going to call the conservative side, because if you're not a radical progressive, you're considered a conservative. Um, I feel it's going quite well, though. And there's a general understanding that's building, I think, that in fact, no actual compromise can be made with what is just broadly termed the left these days. Uh, and so we need to, in fact, stop looking to them as the sort of guiding light of civilization, because clearly what they're offering people is madness. And so, in fact, we need to start looking in other places for uh, ways to improve the world. And uh, I've, actually, I've actually found myself taking traditionalism seriously uh, on the grounds that if you consider what the left are offering compared to what the right are offering, you realize that, in fact, the left are offering you abstract reasoning. They say, well, if we do these things, then we expect certain consequences to follow. But they've got a very, very poor track record in that regard. Whereas if you actually look at what traditionalism is, traditionalism is the product of a successful track record built up over many hundreds of years. And so actually, if you want really sensible, grounded solutions, that's a much better place to start than some collective ideas that might, on the face of them, seem very clever, but as we saw from, say, the 20th century, tend to pan out very, very poorly. Yes, I'm not quite sure when conservation became a bad word, considering you're often conserving very good ideas and uh, a very good template for civilization. But despite going out of your way to be a calm and reasonable voice, I see that you're being demonetized on your YouTube, uh, the Lotus Eaters account, for associations, whatever that might mean. It seems to me that you can't actually yeah. win by playing by the rules because Big Tet plays by some kind of Maoist rulebook. Well, that was that was the the entire point of uh, LotusEaters.com, is to say, well, look, we're going to be a... a, a an openly conservative website, an outlet that produces conservative content, but we are going to work very hard to stay within their terms of service. And uh, in fact, what's interesting is that YouTube didn't take umbrage with any of our actual content, because I think that it is within their rules. They just said, well, you've got some kind of uh, association, whatever that's supposed to mean. I'm not sure who we're associated with. Uh, and so we're 
we're going to demonetize you. Um, not pleasant, obviously, to lose a source of revenue, but uh, I think we'll be okay. Well, for those who are unfamiliar, your pinned tweet says that you are sensible centrism, which involves reducing illegal and legal migration to zero, abolishing hate speech laws, maintaining national sovereignty, purging wokeness from our institutions, restoring the death penalty for severe crimes and promoting va uh, family values, and also reducing the welfare state. Now, if you'd said that 20 years ago, most people in society would nod along with you. But uh, these days, mm. it's basically hugely controversial. So society seems to have flipped its fundamental values completely on its head. And my question to you is, are there going to be consequences for society for changing its values so drastically? We're already living through them. Uh, we can see the consequences all around us. And we, I have to say, I'm not very impressed with the world that the left has built for us. Uh, just a quick point on the uh, sensible centrism aspect. Uh, actually, if you poll the public, all of those points that I, I mentioned there uh, are actually the majoritarian points. These are the points that most people still agree with. The problem is that the political classes of the West are dramatically out of sync with the general uh, sentiments of the regular person. They simply have a very different and very left-wing perspective on what politics should be. And this, I mean, we, we should be aware that this was the great project of the left to essentially capture the political discourse and render certain things out of bounds using political correctness as a weapon. Um, and they've been very successful about this. And we should be, we should recognize this and reframe ourselves outside of their paradigm. Because unless you want transgender children, unless you want criminals to be treated as victims of society rather than uh, authors of evil actions, uh, then you will always find yourself in the left-wing paradigm uh, essentially committed to these premises. And I'm not committed to these at all. I think that they're completely wrong. I've spent many years analyzing each, one, each argument from the left in detail, and I've come to the conclusion that they're all just simply false. They're just wrong and bad arguments. And so I've reframed what I believe to be the correct way of running a civilization into uh, what is actually like I said, the majoritarian position in our civilizations. Most people agree with what I've written in that tweet. Most people agree. It's radical left-wing activists, extremists, who do not agree with these things. And uh, you'll notice that the, the policies that have led us away from those positions were all done by people who I would term as extremists. Well, just quickly on that point, for the generation that claims that it trusts the science, there doesn't seem to be a lot of truth around, and the press are asking us to look at the faces of, for example, male criminals and call them women out of politeness. So should ordinary citizens who want to be, you know, quote unquote, good, go along with this endorsement of ideological fantasy? Well, it, this is the, the big question at the heart of it, isn't it? Um, is it good to deceive people? Is it good to play into delusion? Is it good to speak about the world in a way that's fundamentally not true? And sometimes you have to be tough and you have to be uh, realistic about things. And that's actually the kind thing to do, because when you build... Uh, a house on an edifice of lies, it will eventually come tumbling down. And the, the longer you go on with these um, 
delusions, the worse it becomes when eventually they become untenable. And you have to say, well, look, that none of that was really true, actually. Uh, the, the longer you feed into it, the more painful it is by the time it all comes crashing down. So I think actually being you know, firm but fair and saying, well, look, actually, this isn't true and I'm not obligated to commit to it as a truth. Uh, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I am trying to make sure you understand that this is just something on which we can't agree. Uh, I think that's something that, um, again, I'll just call them conservatives, but this is just essentially encompasses almost all regular people in the world. Um, the, the regular people of the world just have to have to be have to find the moral fortitude to say, look, I just don't agree. Uh, and I'm sorry you're talking nonsense and I'm not going to go along with it. Well said. Speaking of truth, your video titled The British Crusade Against Slavery may be one of the clearest and most important pieces about Britain's role in ending slavery. And although I lack your gravitas, I shall attempt to quote you. You said, in the 19th century, if you saw a ship bearing down on you, flying the Union Jack, and you were a slave trader, you knew that this flag stood for liberty. This was the flag of a nation that defied human convention for a point of principle and spent its blood, sweat, tears, and treasure to enforce it on the world. These are powerful words to which you added, slavery had to be abolished, and when Britain held the reins of the world power, this is what she did with it. Carl, why aren't our children being taught about one of the finest moments in world history? Because we are currently in the process of a slow-moving communist revolution. Uh, that's why. Uh, I know that sounds like a big statement, but it is absolutely true, and I'm more than happy to debate anyone on that subject. Um, the, the problem is that the left-wing ideology that has captured our institutions is trying to demonize everything about our civilization and the past in order to justify radical change. If you teach people that actually, well, you know, as, a, as someone who's, who's a native English-speaking person, you are actually the heir to a great people who decided to categorically improve the world on moral grounds in which in, in ways that which almost no one can deny uh, you, you I mean, who who says that ending the slave trade is a negative thing even the left don't think is a negative thing uh, so if you were to teach people that they might feel like actually i like being the bearer of this civilization i actually like being attached to this thing and so i don't really want the communist revolution that promises an idealistic future that will never come to pass and in fact i think i'm going to join uh, a, a right-wing party rather than a left-wing party. And so it's it's been part of an almost 100-year-long process now of trying to subvert our countries to drag them to the political left. And it's worked. I mean, look at where we are now. Look at the number of people who are in favor of just wildly, wildly untrue things and immoral things in many cases. And so we need to start being able to articulate the positive case for our own civilization, really. Well, the activist class now hold the reins of power, and instead of ending slavery as the British Empire did, they are ushering in a new age of racial supremacy and identity politics. How can they square this intellectually? Well, uh, they do it by first um, saying, well, if you have a country that is predominantly made up of uh, white people, uh, then they ipso facto make up the dominant 
a number of people in positions of power. And they attribute uh, our civilization to the fact that we have white skin, which I find very interesting because uh, they then attribute um, other forms of civilization to people because of the color of their skin. Uh, this actually is not the way that things work, of course. Everything is cultural interplay between civilizations. And uh, the color of the skin really is a, it's a very new world uh, concern. In the old world, we don't really talk about it. We talk about uh, ethnic status, as in your English, French, German, whatever. Uh, they've all got the same skin color. Um, but what this, um, what this means, uh, ultimately, is, how to phrase it, um, well, they sort of become an ultra-racist ideology, the way they behave, yeah. rather than, it, it's almost as if it's an excuse for their ideology, rather than having to front up well, to the developments of a very diverse Western civilization, because they don't want to admit that Western civilization is not purely European at all. It is a thousands and thousands of years of collective ideology together of different well, ideas. This, well, I, I wouldn't call it ideology, that's the thing, because an ideology is formulated in advance. What, what Western civilization is, is the product of Europeans fighting amongst themselves and then exploring the world and interacting with the world and bringing back you know, ideas, things, and people to Europe to understand. And so you, how, how they square it is by saying this is a racial um, project. And I don't really think that that's how people think about it. And I don't really think that that's how these things are done. Uh, these, these are, you could call it a civilizational project, but th that's much more flexible and inclusive. It can incorporate things from outside its own civilization. But the way, the way to get back to your question, sorry, the, the way that they justify it is by simply saying, uh, we will reverse the power dynamics. Uh, so we will look and say, well, look, there are lots of white people here and therefore white people must be powerful and they naturally equate the exercise of power with the exercise of evil by stigmatizing any civilization, by simply creating a litany, uh, a, Burke had a great term for it that is just on the tip of my tongue, uh, a, a kind of um, just a list of crimes, civilizational crimes that the uh, the people you're attacking have committed. And then just saying, well, look, this proves that you are bad. And this is why you bring up the, the British Empire's legacy of ending slavery. And there are so many other things that the British Empire did to improve the quality of life for people around the world. They get left off this list because the point is to demonize them. The point is to say, well, this means you're bad, and this means you must accept that these other people who haven't done this are not bad, and therefore they are to be given preference based on whatever criteria we want, and you are to be penalized based on these criteria. And so it does, as you say, create a kind of racial supremacy. Um, but I, I, it, the, the problem with talking about the subject is you've got to be very precise in your language, uh, because otherwise people will deliberately misconstrue you as either intending racial supremacy, which I don't, or um, failing to characterize them correctly and simply being uh, ignorant of what it is they're actually doing. Uh, but there is a long academic tradition of them essentially trying to uh, expand and explode the definitions of these words in order to play these linguistic games to frame all white people as having done something wrong and all non-white people as being the victims of white people, which frankly is obviously ahistorical, inaccurate, 
nonsensical and immoral. So, um, no, well, yes, fr frankly, is, I, I they think are, frankly, I think they're basically just intellectually lazy. They could have just as easily picked hair color or eye color because it means they don't have to use any kind of merit with their discussion or their ideas. They can just say, you guys are all bad. Can we please have some power now? Which is what's happening here in Australia at the moment. Well, that, that's what it boils down to. But actually, they're not intellectually lazy. I've, I've read their canon, and it's actually very sophisticated. They had to do a lot of hard work. And the reason that they chose race is because this is something that actually stirs the hearts of the constituency they're appealing to. Uh, they, they could have chosen hair color, but nobody's really emotionally invested in their hair color. Whereas there is always a Hang on, hang on. Of... I'm a blonde. I've got plenty of uh, blonde jokes going on there, Carl. But what, what I think really... Fair enough. I, mean, I take that back. <laughs> what, but, uh... what I think really exposes their argument is, as I've heard you say before, there's an active slave trade in Africa, particularly with young girls. <laughs> but if you try and call that out, suddenly you're you're labelled things like Islamophobic for daring to stand up for fighting the slave trade in Africa. So it doesn't appear to me as if the neo-Marxists and uh, the other collectivists today actually care about slavery. Well, no, of course not. And this is, uh, this is why it's important to identify this as a slow-moving communist revolution, because they know you care about slavery, because, of course, you're of British heritage. And so this is, this is something... Uh, that British civilization has always taken a very strong line on, in fact. Um, and so they know that this is a weakness that you have. And so they'll say, well, look, Africans were slaves and, you know, it was part, it was something that happened within the British Empire. Therefore, you are forever guilty of this thing because it can't ever be taken back. Uh, but no, they don't care about slavery in Africa because they're not trying to enact a communist revolution in Africa. They're using this as a wedge issue to leverage open the the vulnerability so you admit yes actually no we are bad people we are we have got major faults please teach us the right way and they will insert then the communist ideology this is why they don't care about oppression of women in saudi arabia they don't care about slavery in africa they don't care about what the tyrannical chinese government does they don't care about any of these things what they care about is what you're doing because what they're doing is attacking you and your civilization that's the only purpose to anything they bring up. That's well said. And yes, they don't seem to care much about the ethnic slave camps in China. One of the most nope. interesting things that I have heard you actually say was that you are not in favour of ideologies because ideologies make people's thought processes rigid and inflexible. I believe you called it an ideological cage. That was nearly 10 years ago that you said this. Do you stand by that observation? More so now than uh, than I when I did at the time. I I I knew I didn't like ideologies a decade ago, but it's uh, ten years of studying them and the alternatives to them uh, has made me realise, as I mentioned earlier, that traditionalism is actually a proven track record of success, whereas ideologies are flights of fancy that promise the, the the earth and everything within it and yet normally fail to deliver. Um, so yes, I very much am against an ideology. Uh, so before, before discussing it more though, it's worth defining what an ideology is because a lot of people, uh, actually this is a fairly contested thing. So the critical race theorists will tell you that an ideology is a set of contested ideas uh, that are used to justify the seizure of power, which in one aspect is correct. Uh, and then you've got uh, traditional and conservatives who will say that an ideology 
is the distillation of a political tradition. But what the what the uh, unifying th theme between these two positions is, is that you have a uh, literally a latticework of certain ideas that connect at particular intersections in a logical way that uh, that you can extract. Imagine, imagine you're you're eating a soup, and you put your fork into the soup, and you pull out a crouton or something. The soup that runs off of it is the natural environment of life, and the ideology is the is the single thing that you pull out of it. And so you notice that you've actually stripped away a lot of reality when you create an ideology, and then you have an abstract an abstract categorical framework to which you can apply as a standard to all of reality. And this is why ideologies are revolutionary, because they look at the world around them and say, well, hang on a second, this world doesn't match this, this very narrow lattice of, uh, of ideas that I have. And a normal person would say, well, of course not, why would it? The, this, the, this world's a product of natural forces, of millions of people operating autonomously to create their own lives and their own happiness. Why would you think that it would apply, would, would in any way resemble your abstract fantasy. And this is used as a justification to seize power, to be given uh, control over various institutions, to be elected into government, and to reshape the civilization in the in the form of this ideology. Um, it's very dangerous, actually. And it's uh, very, very um, narrow-minded because it fails to understand the things that had to be subtracted from the ideas, because very few things are in a vacuum. Like this, we, we live in a very rich environment. When you deal with your neighbor, you can't deal with your neighbor ideologically if you want to have a good relationship with your neighbor. You have to deal with them as a human. And that's there's many layers to that. That's a very, very, you know, you, your personal history with that, with that person is very important. And the things that they like and the things that you know about them, and they have that sort of view of the, their relationship with you. And so you realize that actually these things are very, very complicated and done on a human level rather than an intellectual level. And so this this is why even more than ever, I would say I'm against the concept of ideology. Uh, Carl, I've seen you gallantly sit down and partake in open forum discussions with various activists and leftist thinkers, though it's fair to say you often find yourself on the receiving end of mindless, incomprehensible shouting. How can we resolve some of these severe problems facing society when it's nearly impossible to conduct a sensible conversation with the activist class? Well, I think it's important to note that the activist class go out of their way not to have sensible conversations uh, because they were successful. If you go back, say, 50 or 60 years, you can watch um, BBC interviews and uh, television interviews with left-wing activists who are very reasonable and very uh, calm and level-headed and are presenting the best face that they can in order to inject these ideas into the discourse, their ideas into the discourse, in order to sort of separate people from the traditional way that they think. And this has been a very successful project because the people that they were dealing with simply weren't aware that they were being directly attacked by a set of very vicious ideas. And so now we have the blooming of this project into the sort of Marcusean radicalization of students to the point where they, they know that the power structure is behind them, 
the people running the institutions are already indoctrinated into this way of thinking. So they don't need to be polite anymore. They don't need to persuade you. They're going to just enforce this with whatever power they have available. Um, and so, frankly, I think that actually we don't need to worry about bringing them to the table to debate. What we need to do is worry about creating a positive understanding of ourselves and a positive framework that we would promote and just have as a more persuasive argument than the screeching hysterical transgender person who is telling you that you have to accept that they're a woman just because they've put on a dress. <laughs> Look, I would like to offer you my congratulations on your new child and ask, does having children change your perspective on history, politics and philosophy and the future of humanity? And if so, is part of the problem with the West these days the fact that a mostly young and childless generation is leading the decisions of civilization? I wouldn't say they're so young anymore, actually. The millennials are hitting 40 now. Um, so it's, uh, the, and I think that this is definitely something they're going to have to grapple with. Um, yes, having children definitely changes your perspective. Um, frankly, you realize how much of an adolescent you are until you have children, uh, because fundamentally it is about being responsible for someone who is not yourself. Uh, when you're an adult and you're just responsible for yourself, well, you can get yourself up, you can get breakfast, you can get showered, you can go to work, and then you can drink beer and play video games when you get back from work. And you can be like, well, I've, I'm, I'm a functioning member of society. But really, you're not, actually, because no one relies on you. That's the real test of adulthood. Who actually relies on you? And you realize you gain a much more mature and broad perspective on the world when you have a, a, a baby or a five-year-old or a 10-year-old who actually needs your help. And you are personally responsible for that person. Uh, you realize that actually um, things are different and you have to see yourself in a, in a wider scheme of things. You aren't just an isolated individual anymore. You're actually someone who's part of a community, a part of a family, a network. And the stability of this network is very important. You don't want, the, the, the one thing that children need is predictability. They need to know that every morning when they get up, things are going to be as they were yesterday in order so they can be um, confident, happy, and self-assured. And so this is something that left-wing activists are deliberately trying to deny to children. They, with with the, the abolition of category is one of the primary methods of attack that the left take on. And you see this, of course, when you ask anyone on the left to define what a woman is. Now, a, a normal person will say it's an adult human female. I don't, don't know why you're even asking. But the reason they're abolishing this category is so that anyone can be it. Well, that's actually bad for children because that takes away their ability to understand their own environment. That takes away their ability to generate this kind of predictable nature of this world around them. And it leaves them kind of lost, alone, and vulnerable. And that's how the left want these children to be in order to be able to groom them into believing radical things that clearly aren't true. Uh, and so it is, it, family values absolutely should be at the core of any civilizational mission. And it's actually kind of wild now that you think, I, I, I'm not sure what the situation in Australia is like, but I'm gonna guess it's not terribly different to what it is over here, where all you get to hear about are minority concerns, such as LGBT, immigrants, and uh, a radical fringe of man-hating feminists, right? I bet, I bet these topics dominate your politics at the moment.
You're pretty, you're pretty on form. Out. That's basically exactly what our politics revolves around, a tiny little circle. Yeah, and that, that's, that's wild, isn't it, right? Because the LGBTs don't produce children, uh, the man-hating women don't produce children, and the immigrants don't produce Australian children or, you know, like native children. Um, and so you have this very narrow constituency, but the very vast majority of society, which are the normal family-oriented people who are just going out and doing their jobs and raising their families and living a normal life, they're no longer represented in their own politics, and yet they're still expected to hold this up with their tax burden. They're still expected to carry the weight of the world on their backs. And it's totally perverse, absolutely perverse. These minoritarian interests should be exactly represented in that way, in a very minoritarian way. It should be a, a, an afterthought for the, what the health of the civilization is. And I don't, I don't mean to hammer this point too hard, but if you aren't going to produce children, then it doesn't really matter what your opinion is because future generations don't need to know what you thought. It's literally that simple. Like, you are not actually doing a special kind of labor that only heterosexual couples can do, which is to produce the next generation of people who you expect to go out and work and eventually pay for your pension, pay for your social health care, pay for your social services, and run everything around you. You know, the, the, we, we, the left is in this, in this view that, well, we can just pay people to do it. You, if there are no people, you can't pay them. And if you didn't have children, then that's a person from the next generation that won't be there. That is a special kind of labor that actually is the reason that normal couples that produce children were always privileged in eras before this one. If you go back, again, 30 years, it's unfathomable that you could elect a politician that didn't have children. It's unfathomable. And yet now, Europe is ruled by politicians who don't have children. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And so it's, it's one, like the, the, regular, the regular person needs to really think about who they are electing and in what that person represents, what constituency that person really serves. Because the, the vast majority of the public, I feel, are totally underserved. Well, look, I'd be, as we draw to the end here, it'd be amiss of me not to ask you about ancient history. Uh, if you could go back and live in any era that you chose, which of the civilizations would you most like to go and have a little visit or maybe rule over? Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't want to live in any time prior to modern medical technology. Okay, romanticize uh, it we, for me. Find something yeah, yeah. fun. Uh, well, I'd be happy to visit. Um, I'd be happy to visit for a weekend or something. Uh, but you don't want to live there because um, there was, it was a lot of ancient history was very difficult. Um, but there, there are there are loads of places all over the world that would be fascinating to be able to witness. I mean, what one what, I particularly like military history actually, and one of the strange things about military history is we don't really know what an ancient battle was like because if they've got swords and shields. Uh, we haven't fought like that for hundreds of years. And so nobody really knows what the experience of that is like. And so I would like to have a, a sort of, you know, a hilltop view of a battle and see what happens. But um, but again, that wouldn't be very pleasant. And you certainly wouldn't want to live through it. Um, but, we, you know, we should, we should thank our lucky stars that we get anesthetic, basically. Uh, personally, I'd like to go and visit somewhere that had pyramids, preferably. Although not the pyramids that you yep. get uh, cut up and thrown down. That would be uh, a little worrying. Well, there are lots of pyramids around. 
<laughs> it's not just Egypt. Yeah, there are some less scary pyramids. Look, thank you, yeah. thank you so much, Carl Benjamin. For those watching, he is a better source of history than pretty much any university that you can go to. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you with us on the show. Where can we find you? Uh, the best place to find me is uh, lotusseaters.com. Wonderful. Well, look, that's all from us. I'm Alexandra Marshall, and we will catch you next week.